0: Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany.
1: And it's me, your friend Chris. What
0: is happening it's right now? my new now? intro. Oh, no, it's not. I'm
1: trying to that was not
0: approved. build
1: rapport with the listeners. It
0: has uh, been vetoed. <laughs> We're continuing with our watch through of The Magicians. And we're on Season 2, Episode 9, Lesser Evils. Chris, can you give us a recap of what happens in this episode?
1: Mm-hmm. After the Florian army deserts due to Julia's actions, Elliot agrees to fight Lorian King Edri in a one-on-one duel to end the war. When informed of Idri's impressive dueling record, Fen gives him an enchanted sword to improve his chances of victory. Quinton has been locked up at breakbills while he has Alice in his head, and is told that he will die within a matter of days. uh uh. Penny and Katie break Julia free from the dungeons at Castle Whitespire, t- telling her that they found Reynard's son, Senator John Gaines. Though Julia wants to kill him, Penny and Katie stop her and just kidnap him instead, taking him to Break bills. The news coverage of this high profile kidnapping brings Reynard to Break bills searching for Gaines, and the magical wards fail due to a ma- magical blackout, allowing him to enter.
0: Uh oh.
1: As a school goes into emergency lockdown, Julia pushes Quinton into danger. Planning to coerce him into releasing Niffin and Alice to kill Reynard. However, the plan fails. Gaines surrenders himself to Reynard to stop him from killing anyone else, and they leave together. Back in Fillory, magical blackout caused by the damaged Wellspring causes Elliot's enchanted sword to fail. Uh-oh. As he runs from King Idri, the two connect over their shared difficulties as kings and mutual physical attraction. Uh-oh. To save Elliot, Margot makes a deal with the fairies to restore the Wellspring in exchange for Elliot and Fenn's child. uh the fairies do restore the Wellspring with their magic, but then Elliot returns, announcing he's ended the war by agreeing to marry Idrie and share the Wellspring with Loria. As the episode concludes, Katie has Julia imprisoned for her actions, and Quentin frees Alice, who flies off into space.
0: Uh-oh.
1: Yeah, some uh-ohs here. There's
0: a lot of uh-ohs. Yeah,
1: fair, fair number
0: of uh-ohs. Uh-ohs? Uh-ohs. is going to be a great episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we first go into our magic moments, what were yours from this episode?
1: I mean, it was just so sweet and so penny. When Quentin is pushed with Reynard, Penny jumps in to grab Quentin to teleport him out.
0: I know. He just automatically runs through the wards towards Reynard to save Quentin. And Penny still can't do magic besides travel, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, Oh Penny. I mean, this one didn't actually go through, but all the other ones that have the first time Penny saved Quentin, Quentin was like, I owe you a Wookiee life debt and I'm like, he owes him so many now. So many.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Penny gets frozen before he can get to Quentin, Mm -hmm. but it's just like he had no need to go in there like there's no one who told him to go do it like it was all just this is penny's natural reaction
2: mhm
1: mhm he's a superhero <laughs> super penny
0: he's a super sacrificer
1: <laughs> i love the new outfits that they wear when they go to the duel <laughs> <laughs> Elliot's and Margot's like
2: yeah. <laughs>
1: very dramatic, I know.
0: stylish, well, and they have a they have a costume change within the song. Yes, because it's like supposed to be the next day, and they actually change their clothes exactly so it's the next day.
1: It's so good, yeah. <laughs> and I really, really enjoyed seeing Jason Ralph play Alice.
0: Niff and Alice. Yes, Niff and Alice. Yes, yeah. Very, very well done. (laughs) Uh, A lot of the
1: intonation was very, very much Alice. Like, yeah, it was just, I think, a a really great performance.
0: Totally, totally. Yeah, when someone is inhabiting someone else's body, sometimes actors can do very well with it, and other times it's like, it's okay, but Mm -hmm. it's not, like, the best, but this was really good.
1: Yeah. Uh, And then just a couple great lines, as there tends to be Elliot... I hear by decree, rulers done gonna rumble. Oh
0: my God. It's so. <laughs> it's so dorky. <laughs> Yet, somehow, even like the hesitant in him saying it, like just makes it fine for Elliot to say mm-hmm. when Elliot normally is has a higher level of wit. But yes. <laughs> he made it clear that he knows this isn't the best thing to say, but he's gonna say it anyway. <laughs> Absolutely. Delightful. Yeah.
1: And then Margot, when she says that she's a an obsessive fan of Elliot's face,
0: oh, yeah. and that's
1: why she knows something's wrong. So good. Very good.
0: A lot of us are. Yes. <laughs> well, of several of the faces.
1: <laughs> um, and then finally, just the visuals of the magic scrying pool. Margot and Ooh. the others used to watch the duel how they visualize the magical blackout with mm. the mushrooms glowing on the path in the forest that blink and mm-hmm. then go out. Like, yeah, really fun. effective. But what about you? What were your magic moments?
0: I particularly love when Penny says, we are not killing a U.S. senator, <laughs> but we will commit a felony almost as stupid.
1: Yes, true.
0: <laughs> Another thing that I really liked is in in that same scene when they are <laughs> going to attack the senator or, or show the senator that magic exists. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just fun that you get to see them all do a little bit of magic just, like, very quickly. But the moment when Julia just, like, so effortlessly brings fire kind of, like, around her body into the front in her hand, you know, with her shadeless Julia persona you know it it feels intimidating but to juxtapose that to where she started at the very beginning of this series her trying and concentrating so hard to make the little sparks Mm -hmm. in her hands yeah i think it's just like such a contrast that we see just in a season and a half how much she's grown magically that like she doesn't even have to think about it it's just magic is effortless for her which is yeah really cool and then I also really appreciated with her when she wakes up and Katie tells her that she's in this clean room and (laughs) this is their solution for now like she has to be locked away the way that Julia just like yells and hits the door you can just like feel how she's seething with rage and it's it's scary mm-hmm. you know and um i i mentioned in passing before that i i grew up in an abusive household and so that moment when i'm watching it like it does make me kind of internally recoil mm-hmm. and like feel uncomfortable and i think that that yeah means that Stella Maeve is just doing such a good job with that Because we've seen Julia, when she was kind of the out of control in the hedge community, had just been kicked out by Marina, you know, we've seen her angry and out of control Mm -hmm. before. She storms in and Pete's like, no, you can't come in here. You know, you need to leave and whatnot. But this moment feels different from that. And I think it makes it very evident that Julia is different. There's some part of Julia that's lost and that yeah, she's not just like what Martin had told her that like she has the potential to be formidable. yeah, which is true. but yeah, also the the sinister, the scary part of her. that isn't that she's just powerful, but it's that at any moment she can be so powerful while also being enraged, and you don't know what that's going to do.
1: Yeah, and I think this seems really interesting, too, because we've seen this location before to hold Martin in Mike's body. Mm. And so now, you know, we're seeing, I think, a purposeful parallel between Julia without her shade and Martin without his shade. The threat that each of them are seen as and and are uh, to other people, in part, at least because of that loss uh, and how they're then separated from others and from magic or tempted to be, in Martin's case, uh, Mm -hmm. because of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really interesting, too, because as we see so much more of Fillory now, Mm -hmm. we see so much of Fillory that Martin didn't destroy. Obviously, his draining of the wellspring was depleting magic and therefore things were failing. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't purposefully destroying this place because he loved this place. And you see Julia destroys all of these trees. like It's an attempt to save Fillory in a way and help Margo out. Obviously it's destructive and it's wrong, but not everything about them is lost and not they haven't just changed to want destruction their aims still continue to be their aims mm-hmm. it's just their methods that change versus someone like niff and Alice. her aims have not continued to stay the same mm-hmm. they've completely altered another great moment is when Elliot is talking to Idri, and he's like, I've died before. It doesn't seem to take with me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, true, obviously, Absolutely. in previous loops. Mm-hmm. But also, Martin did kill him and Margot, I think. And then Juiced Up Alice brought them back. And then his golem died, mm-hmm. and he had to, his consciousness had to be transferred over. So I'm just like, Yeah. It's true. And now I really just want him and Harry Potter to be friends.
1: Right? That would be a fun friendship. It
0: would be so good. The sass. (laughs) I don't know if Elliot would make a good mentor for Harry. He
1: certainly would Or I guess
0: maybe it would be the other way around (laughs) because of the age. So maybe it would be good.
1: Yeah. If you go by their timelines as published.
0: So yeah, so he could have helped poor, poor little <laughs> poor little Elliot. Poor little Elliot. <laughs> uh, and then this isn't really magic moment, but <laughs> when when we're talking about the the fight between them, well, some of them are magic moments where it's just like them running away from each other so at different good. times so funny but then it's like edry comes
1: out with this huge sword oh, yeah <laughs> it's a massive great sword and
0: then after just a few <laughs> times of like just
1: runs away i
0: know runs into the forest so good and then when elliot runs away from him mm-hmm. and is like hiding on the top of the huge tree stump and it's just like elliot could have easily killed him when he had gotten his sword I thrown away, <laughs> even though magic failed. I mean, I suppose it's possible if he wasn't good enough, maybe Idris could have sidestepped and taken the sword from him or whatnot. But I think that it does. Th- there is an interpretation that I think will be closer to the book <laughs> is that like, Elliot doesn't want to kill people, mm-hmm. you know, and I think we've seen this even in the show. And so maybe it's, well, if magic is behind the sword, it's not exactly his will of his own, you know? Like, if Idri has a sword in his hand, it feels more defense mm-hmm. than Idri's sword is on the ground, he's up against a tree, and, you know, like, yeah. it's completely Elliot's will killing this person. And and in the book, th- there is a, a duel that happens, it's not the same situation or whatnot, and Elliot's just like, well, I'm not gonna have any of my people die for war. Yeah. I'll go out and do this, and I'm a magician, so I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll draw out the pageantry of it, <laughs> but he's not gonna kill another person mm-hmm. if he doesn't ab, you know, if he doesn't feel like it's absolutely necessary. And here in the show, they kind of make it like, oh, how popular would I be if I did this duel? Which wasn't really his thinking in the book. It was, like, him being responsible. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So that's kind of a a little disappointing. (laughs) I mean, it's funny, but, like, I think there are more reasons there that Elliot is choosing this course of action. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also, you know, if they really just wanted to kill him, if he's able to use a magic sword... Would he be able to use any other weapons? Does it have to be swords? Because if not, why don't you just bring Margot's gun? You know? <laughs> no magic required. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it was still a very amusing whole. Absolutely. Multiple scenes. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Delightful.
0: Oh. Ho, ho, ho. Well, when we go into our next section, which is setting and society, what do you have?
1: Yeah, there's a few interesting ones for this. Uh, for one, we find out that Florian kings and queens can have one spouse of each gender, which is interesting because it's in some ways progressive
2: mm-hmm.
1: of, you know, having multiple spouses, of queerness being accepted and acknowledged, but it's also cisnormative where mm-hmm. you can have one of each. But it's like, okay, Each well. Way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Does that mean that I could have as many partners as there are people who identify as different genders? Like
2: yeah. you know. <laughs> <Right>. uh,
1: <laughs> so yeah, I just thought that was that was interesting. We also get introduced to sexually transmitted le- lycanthropy this episode. Yes,
0: uh, of course
1: we do. Which is just exactly how this series would utilize werewolves. <laughs> 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 it's, it's the return of Josh, Josh, yeah, without any attention given to it. It's (laughs) just, he happens to be there.
0: Which is also really amusing that this is Josh that this happened to, because in the book's yeah, you know, Josh is a more integral character mm-hmm. in the first book and, and all of these things. But then you later find out that he's gone to all of these different worlds and basically had sex with all of these different creatures. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, of course, this, he's this is He's gone to these different worlds in.
1: for the intention of having sex with as many different creatures as he can.
0: Uh, yeah. Of any of them who would get this, it would be Josh.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: mm-hmm. yes. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the moment that you alluded to earlier, how Katie, Penny, and Julia debate whether to kill or kidnap (laughs) an American senator.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, I find this interesting because, yeah, obviously, this brings the powers that they are working against to a whole new level of now the U.S. government. Like, Gaines, as a senator, is not just...
0: A Whatever. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. But he's also someone who works for the U.S. government. And obviously, magicians don't tend to care much for human governments and things like that.
0: Or maybe they do. You know, maybe some of these powerful people are in the government and just...
1: Absolutely. Using
0: magic to do things.
1: Yeah, who knows? But I find it particularly interesting how the representation of Gaines here is entirely non-political. We don't get what party Mm -hmm. he's a member of. The only policy that we actually hear about is a farm bill. Like, Mm -hmm. and we don't know what's in that farm bill. Uh, So, you know, whether he's assassinated or kidnapped, it's, for for them, completely non-political reasons. But he's also represented as a non-political character. Mm. Which I just find, yeah, an interesting component of the writing of him Mm -hmm. um, that he it it does make sense if you can have this power to get whatever you want yeah there would be a pathway open to you to get into the halls of power Mm -hmm. this way quite easily but they choose not to write him as connected to any kind of ideals or values Mm -hmm. that exist within the political landscape of society Mm -hmm. so he's just kind of a charismatic patriot <laughs> <laughs> you know which of course has its own kind of political aspects when you think in the larger sense but you know not the capital P politics of Democrat Republican etc mm-hmm. so yeah I just find find his characterization there interesting in that way
0: yeah it is a really interesting choice that they went with politics instead of something like being a CEO mm-hmm. of a company or something I, I don't know if it's because they wanted for the viewer to to find him and hope for him to be on whatever side that they would be on, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, so that they would see him as maybe a character that they would root for in a certain way. Whereas if (laughs) it was clear he was on one side or the other (laughs) of politics... So yeah, maybe it's so wherever you fall on the spectrum of politics, you would see this character as maybe could be for whatever you believe in, but also could maybe be against, which makes it both the hope and the fear Mm -hmm. that something like a CEO maybe wouldn't do in the same way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And yeah, I think it also he's able to kind of play this like charismatic role rather than just Mm -hmm. being like intelligent or you know whatever else it might be but it's clear that people want to follow him he can have these rallies and stuff and then the last thing i wanted to talk about was just the musical aspect of Mm -hmm. this episode because i think it's really interesting how i mean for one it's just awesome to to see that you know and the spell gives backing to the singing and backup singers and backup musicians and like it's just such a cool use of magic and obviously it's great to see them using this talent and uh you know i think they, they do a pretty good job with it so yeah it, it's fun in that way but it also does kind of thematically metaphorically show their collaboration and like their feelings for one another mm. uh for how Elliot and Margot have this really, really tight relationship, and how Fenn, you know, where she's like a support character.
0: And is not happy.
1: <laughs> yes, and is unhappy. And yeah, I just, I find it a really fun one, but it's also something that I know I don't understand everything of because I've never seen Lame Is. So as much as I can try to listen to the lyrics and things like that, oftentimes I'll I'll miss it. Because I don't know it that well, and I'm just you know listening and watching and and things like that. So, and I just don't know the context of why each character in the original song was singing what they were singing, Mm -hmm. and how that connects to the representations that they're supposed to be personifying as uh, they sing. And so, yeah, I just kind of want to point out that like, though we as a podcast clearly dive deep into the things that we're passionate about, this is an example of a passion that I don't have reference for, Mm. and how that can make me lose some of the themes and ideas that are being communicated.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And yeah, that just makes me think about why we do like the things that we do like uh, when they have kind of self-referential or referential to other things that you like, which The Magicians does quite a bit, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, referencing Harry Potter and Star Trek and all sorts of other stuff. But it's impressive that even for me who doesn't understand the references, I can still really appreciate some of the messages that are in the song.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a big, like, ensemble number. So even though I've seen the show performed live as well as I've seen the movie rendition, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know, like, who... Fenn is playing in, in this, you know, so I know some of them, but like not every, every line. Yeah. So some of the, some of the other moments I'm, I'm not, that's that character or whatnot, because I've, I have only seen it twice, but, um, yeah, it's an interesting choice because some of the lyrics could work and whatnot, but then it, At the same time, in the context, the protagonists of of the show are people who have been disadvantaged Mm -hmm. by the system. You have a sex worker who is dying from disease. You have someone who was imprisoned and is being chased after the fact by law enforcement and stuff like that. And so I'm not sure that it goes exactly with what's happening here, because mm-hmm. Fillery here is, in some ways, maybe the oppressor in a way.
2: Absolutely.
0: Uh, the monopoly over the wellspring, over different resources of Fillery. Obviously, the kings and queens are the colonizers, and so I'm not sure that it actually translates to some of the messages actually in Les Miserable, but... Uh, it's still a fun number.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's that's really interesting, though. I, thanks for, for sharing all that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, it's it's people fighting against the powers that be, right. and inequality and whatnot. So, <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Ha, ha, ha. you know, in, important things. Yeah.
1: What are your points for setting in society?
0: Yeah, so I, I just love the moment that this is, I, I believe, actually, the only moment that Katie goes to to fillery
2: mm.
0: which is, yeah, <laughs> fascinating in its own sense. But aside from that, she's looking around Castle Whitespire and she's like, Elliot is actually the king of all of this. And Penny is just like, prove that there's no justice, which is a really interesting comment it's just a very side thing but it's these two characters who have grown up with so much disadvantage and so much suffering in their lives Mm -hmm. katie's mother was we find out later i believe if if we haven't already that she was a stripper if not a sex worker as well and grew up in poverty and penny in the foster care system and so th- this is part of why penny and katie get along well mm-hmm. and can get so frustrated and just not have time for some of the others you know from their eyes they're walking around looking at all of this and it's like they're still struggling. Mm-hmm. And it's not that Elliot isn't struggling, but it's just like, to see how is this the circumstance that we've landed in? And how is it that, yeah, even these people from Earth are ruling this kingdom? And, you know, it, it it's just a nice observation coming from these characters. Absolutely. And then I was also thinking about you were talking about before John Gaines being this political but also nondescript political character but just kind of an idea of the dishonesty that is in politics mm. I think is is brought up here because when Margot and Elliot are talking to the, the council and saying that so many people even Falorians, are enraged at the tree genocide that happened, and they're like, oh, thank God that there aren't poles here in February and (laughs) all of that. But Tick Pickwick says, you know, perhaps we could use a less incendiary term, arbicide, instead of (laughs) genocide, right? And so we see the sanitizing and watering down of language intentionally to portray something different and to distance people from the horrors that actually took place, Mm -hmm. you know, and how, yeah, it's dishonest for the sake of politics, for the sake of image and support. And then you have someone like John Gaines, who Penny says he did a psychic reading of, and he believes every word that he says, Mm -hmm. which is a fascinating idea because (laughs) who do we think that really believes every word that they say? The idea that you can do a psychic reading on (laughs) a politician and know if they actually are just lying to you or not, Mm -hmm. or if they actually intend to do what they're saying they will, (laughs) is fascinating. And even though John Gaines believes every word he's saying, we find out that, well, things just work out for him because of his powers, Mm -hmm. and because he doesn't know he's a demigod because there are powers at play here even his own honesty isn't exactly honest which is yeah i think interesting
1: mhm yeah yeah it's a, it's a really interesting character i'm i'm looking forward to tracking him more in the coming episodes mm-hmm. uh because coming to terms with that knowledge is is an interesting one if you are sincere mhm and You know, we've seen another version of that kind of power with Kilgrave in Jessica Jones that that David Tennant plays as a character who grew up with the power to tell anyone to do anything and they have to do it. Mm -hmm. And in his case, he is sociopathic with that power. And he argues that it's the power made him that way. And so for me, I'm going to probably kind of Think about this in comparison to that representation, mm. um, because they take a similar premise in, in two different ways. But yeah, it it's it's a unique character, one that didn't exist in the books, and so a great addition, I think, to the show.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think a, a, a another interesting interpretation could be like him coming to terms with his white privilege or white mm. male cis straight privilege that it's like, well, things just worked out for you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to fight as hard as other people do to get the same things.
1: Yeah, that demigod privilege.
2: Mm
1: Mm-hmm. It's helpful. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and another thing, just I mentioned before that I would be keeping an eye on Margot and Mm -hmm. internalized sexism and, or how she projects that onto other people. Mm -hmm. And her telling us when they were watching the duel that was taking place in the forest. And she's like, I'd give you an update, but I hate seeing boys cry. Mm. So we see another moment where uh, she... Yeah, does have some sexism in in her attitudes. Or at the very least, she thinks that it'll bother uh, S.
1: Yeah, and is willing to utilize sexism if Mm -hmm. it will accomplish that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: And then just lastly, very briefly, the fact that there is a super easy spell for the sword. And (laughs) Ellie is just like, what kings are too lazy to learn, like... Yeah. <laughs>
2: and,
1: and,
0: and fans like, mm, too preoccupied. <laughs> and it, it's, it's great.
1: Yeah, it's very good.
0: <laughs> but when we go into our next section, which is themes and schemes, what were you noticing?
1: Yeah, the theme that really stood out to me in this episode was how we see a lot of characters making deals or attempting to make deals Mm. sometimes with other characters, sometimes just willing to accept a kind of trade off, but almost always it comes with the objectification of other people that when entering into these kinds of deals into kind of formalized deals, it is in many ways inherently dehumanizing, Uh, at least as we see it in this show. I mean, the fairy deal is probably the best example of this, where mm. we see them literally bargaining with the life of a child, an unborn child, for bringing back the Wellspring. And Margot accepts this, but also clearly is unhappy about this and, and in a way dislikes herself for going through with it. And I think that they're really trying to, by, by making it a baby, really play on this kind of trope because it's so often a symbol of innocence and all that and something without agency. So to deal with a baby's life is a, a, a metaphor for that kind of thing. Oh,
0: is it? I didn't get that at all. I I thought this whole deal is really so much more about Fen. It's like the baby doesn't matter in the scenario. It's like a Fen not having consent oh. matters. It's how it will affect Fenn that matters, not any idea of innocence or anything. I didn't get that, at least.
1: Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think you're right, too. I think that that's also an element, yeah. The, the kind of ownership that people, you know, between a mother and their child and, and and other kinds of elements, too. But I find it really interesting seeing that deal in parallel with the other deals that we see in this episode... So we see Alice trying to make a deal with Quentin to let her out. She promises certain things. We also see the duel itself being a kind of deal, right? Where they're agreeing that one of them will die instead of the war continuing. And yeah, that has to end with one of them being dead.
0: Or then we'll make a deal and get married and split the wellspring and stuff instead. And marriage is
1: its own kind of objectification Mm -hmm. where they're not marrying... For love. Sure, there might be some mutual attraction, but they're marrying for political considerations here.
0: And once they do, they don't even have a choice to get out of it if they wanted, right? Exactly. In Philly.
1: Yeah. So, you know, even that is a kind of... They're objectifying each other to try to gain the political and social changes they want. mm mm-hmm. uh, You know, to end the war, to gain access to the wellspring. And then I think... There's also... I don't know if this is, like, a deal the same way, but it's also, I think, so objectifying of Julia trying to kill Gaines for his energy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, of literally saying that he... His death will release a ton of energy, and that's what they're there for, and that's all that matters. You know, she, she literally sees Gaines not as a person, but as energy that she can use to kill Reynard,
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And maybe that also connects to Julia trying to use Alice against Reynard and use Quentin against Reynard. And so, yeah, I just, I kind of see this really interesting parallel between these different elements where a lot of characters are making choices that are objectifying. And it's so different from some of the things I love about the relationships between the main cast in the show where they do all have complex personalities and relationships, and they treat each other as whole people, I think, more often than not. Mm -hmm. And those kinds of relationships are one of the main reasons I love this show. And so, you know, to introduce the fairies as this mercurial deal-making group, and then to see Julia without her shade as also being uncaring i just i think it it's helping to establish those characters as threatening and as having a a different view of people that i just find interesting
0: yeah that is interesting and i think quentin here actually is the person who is doing something different here because we could see Niffin Alice as dehumanized, Mm. as literally her human body was destroyed, Mm -hmm. and her personality, you know, everything it almost seems like was destroyed, yet Quentin treats what Alice is now as a person that will not be objectified in the most literal sense of being boxed. Mm. He chooses to not control her Mm -hmm. or let her never be able to make any decisions if they both die. He chooses to let her go and... And to trust her. Well... I don't even think it's trust, but I think it's to hope. Yeah. To hope that what she said was true. And that she doesn't want to just go hurt people. She doesn't want to kill them all or anything like that. That she'll just go do great magic somewhere in the universe. And yeah, it, it, it's it's a hope that isn't based on her track record mm-hmm. of being an if-in. That is... Treating her like a person that is capable of making decisions, both good and bad, Mm. which is yeah, I think is a really powerful thing and a really important moment Mm
2: -hmm.
0: in the series. That it kind kind of goes into what I was thinking about for the themes and schemes, which is kind of uh, the title of the episode: Lesser Evils. Mm. Even going back to when we were talking uh, during the episode Plan B, one of the Madong sending the blood goblins mm. after Julia, because it's better that both the evil demigod fetus dies and Julia than it's allowed to continue or be born or whatnot. Yeah. And... You have the question, do you kill Julia along with Martin Mm -hmm. when she was transported with him and stuck the shield spells? And I think that the show, especially this season, has been, yeah, having a lot of these questions. (laughs) And and this episode particularly, like, do you manipulate a pregnant woman into signing away her baby in order to save Elliot and Fillory and the Wellspring? And if you save the Wellspring, that means you save magic, you know? And so it's like, this would be the lesser evil, but does that mean it's okay to do? Yeah. Just because it's lesser evil. And, you know, do you feed Quentin to Reynard to coerce him into making a decision he doesn't want to make, even if it would save his life? Yeah. Do you imprison Julia at the end of the episode?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, what is the lesser evil in the circumstances? And it seems like they're often trying to do the lesser evil in the circumstances, but that doesn't mean that they're not still doing something
2: bad. Yeah,
0: Evil is, is, is an intense word that I do use sometimes for really terrible, horrific things in the world. I don't know, I think all of their choices here would necessarily go there, but yeah, I think it's just... The characters are put in very ethically, they're put in ethical quagmires that they are trying to get out of. And often, yeah, with this, not even bargaining in terms of deals, but bargaining with themselves and their own ethics and what they can knowingly choose to do Mm -hmm. uh, and if they can go through with something or not. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting idea that I'm curious to see if that will be more in the rest of this season.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Another thing that I think is interesting is with the fairies, because in the episode, Mark was like, did I know there were fairies? Like, oh, so exciting, there's fairies. And it kind of harkens back to the first episode of this season with the witch in the gingerbread house Mm. when she said... Things only look whimsical yeah. in Fillory. And at the end of this episode, we have the ominous, like hanging fairies that are like just slightly hovering um, behind
1: the throne. Yeah. That Margo only Margo can, can see. see them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: But why don't we move into our final big section, which is from another point of view? So, who did you bring to talk about?
1: Yeah. So, I want to talk about Elliot, our high king.
0: Yes our champagne First champagne. of his
1: name. <laughs> As he is thinking about what to do about this war and then about this duel, which is his, his idea. And it's funny to see him originally excited about the prospect of a duel.
2: <laughs> Overly
1: confident, thinking this is the best decision ever, until he finds out that King Idri has won 12 duels or whatever. And then he starts getting quite worried and anxious and scared about it. And... I think that leads to this this really great scene between him and Fen. They've already, you know, had some tension this season because, because of her and the Foo Fighters and because she's pregnant and so there's, you know, tension and stress in their relationship. Yet she comes in and, yeah, she gives him what ultimately saves him, this sword that's been magically enchanted so that he can wield it even though he has no idea how to wield a sword.
2: <laughs>
1: and... He first says that he feels marginally less fucked
2: uh, because
1: of that, which, you know, that helps ease some of his worries. But I also really love when he says that he will really try not to die again.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, later on, he he makes the great quote that you mentioned mm-hmm. about it doesn't stick. But here he's being a bit more serious that like he has put himself at risk and he has been hurt in ways that have clearly impacted Fen in really negative ways mm-hmm. and have hurt her. And that even with the betrayal that he feels from Fen, and with, you know, the tension that's gone on between them, he sees how she still cares about him, how she's still helping him. And he doesn't want her to be hurt. So he will try not to die for her, you know, at least in part for her, which I think is just such a great part of Elliot. He says this later on, too. It's it's not just that he's afraid of dying, but he's afraid of what will happen after he dies to all those that he cares about. Yeah. And as someone who can be very socially motivated to help people as well, like, I admire that a lot about Elliot. And I wish that Elliot cared a bit more for himself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but he does have the low-key... Constant death work.
1: Exactly. But at least he recognizes that when he puts himself in harm's way, it impacts those around him.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: that is something that he wants to avoid. So yeah, I just, I, I, I find that whole part before the duel really interesting. And it's amazing to see Margot effectively use Les Mis to help him, you know, get <laughs> him pumped music has often been utilized in military campaigns for one to keep people together to communicate over long distances but also yeah to kind of build camaraderie to build a sense of community and shared identity as soldiers of a particular country or whatever rumpa pum pum rumpa pum pum indeed <laughs> and we see kind of a sense of solidarity amongst everyone behind Elliot, but we also see Elliot sing with confidence and stand straight and go into this duel with that confidence, with that singing, taking precedence over the fear that he has, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: which just shows the extent to which Margot knows him very well. So yeah, I just, I, I find his kind of preparation for the duel very interesting and then particularly at the end when he says that sometimes you have to make a sacrifice for others when referring to his new marriage to Idri Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that he recognizes that his position puts him into a position where he he often has to make considerations outside of just 100% what he wants and that oftentimes that's going to mean the lesser of two evils And here, again, it's not necessarily evil, but it's also he is literally getting in bed with someone that he doesn't fully trust. He still says, you know, pillow talk can be like diplomatic espionage, (laughs) uh, where he still recognizes that Loria will be a threat and one that he has to keep an eye on. This will help him do that. So it's not like this is he's going now into a new marriage that is without tension or without stress. So, yeah, I just, uh, seeing Elliot continue to take on more and more and more while still doing his best to think around about those around him is just so so wonderful to see. He's such a great character.
0: He is. I mean, one of the many reasons I love him. And he is often thinking about so many people and so many factors. And I I wonder how betrayed... He must feel when mm. he finds out that he could also take a husband, mm. because he says when he comes back in, like, you know, make some funny comment about when I find out you like people didn't tell me this. Yeah, uh, I can't imagine that that wouldn't put another wedge between him and Fen. Oh,
1: absolutely. Because
0: she knows this, and she knows that he's gay, and she didn't tell him you know like that must feel like well you don't care about me at all Mm. you're just trying to secure yourself i understand why she would be nervous about the situation because yeah maybe he could get out of the marriage by her dying or you know whatever the situation would be but like her constantly saying like oh i'm putting my family first but i don't think that she is Mm. i think she's putting herself first and what she wants which is a baby. That's not what he wants, and she's all excited about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is for him to, you know, have a sexual relationship with her. But that's not what he wants. And so, yeah, it must. I don't know. Like he, he's one with more power in the relationship, yet he seems to be caring more for her than she is for him.
1: Mm.
0: So, yeah, I I could imagine that would be really disheartening.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Obviously, from her, but from anyone else. Like, no one bothered to tell him. Yeah. And, you know, m- maybe a lot of the people wouldn't know, mm-hmm. but uh, that he was gay and that he's not happy with the situation that he's in or whatnot. But, like, you know, you'd think that would be in king orientation or
1: something. <laughs> <laughs> well, who was your perspective?
0: So I kind of have two shorter ones. Hmm. <laughs> I was thinking about Margot. Mm when the fairy ambassador first proposes the deal, she was like, I'm not loving this, but I could get knocked up. And, you know, so she was willing to get pregnant and give birth and give the fairies the baby mm-hmm. in order to save Elliot. Yeah. And, you know, obviously also with the perks of saving the kingdom. mm mm-hmm. And magic and all of that, but I think a lot of it was about Elliot.
2: Yeah,
0: and that's a that's a big ask, Mm -hmm. especially if you're giving birth in a place that doesn't have modern medicine in the same way. Sure, they have magic, but like we already know that they don't have magical abortions that are you know. So like, who knows what magical maternal care would be in Fillory? Even with the best possible technology, the best magic, whatever it would be, it's always going to be a risk.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's always going to change your body. It's always going to potentially, even if you don't die from this, give you other lifelong health issues. or You know, like there are different things that can happen that's a big thing for her to be willing not only that but like the amount of time you mm-hmm. know and nine months of your life or whatnot and so yeah i think it's 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 a really big deal and i think that in in the song of my Miz, you know maybe my favorite part of it was when Elliot's on one throne, she's on another throne and then they're like kind of whisked off in their thrones mm-hmm. away from each other but they like they lean towards each other and sing the line I was born to be with you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's very much how she feels. Like she loves him the most that she could love any person. Yeah. She just wants to be with him and rule with him and wherever he is, she wants to be able to be there too because he is her best friend and they get each other in a way that maybe she doesn't find with anyone else and so she's willing to make this huge sacrifice then when that's not the deal that's on the table it must have been a really difficult decision for margot to make and i think why she made it is because she doesn't believe that fen Cares about Elliot or Fillery enough to knowingly agree to the mm. deal, because if she was confident that Fenn would be would agree to it, then she probably would have told her about the deal. But she was not confident in that, yeah. and and I think that she's probably right. Mm-hmm. I think that Fenn probably wouldn't have agreed to it, which is sad <laughs> because if you really if you really care about. Hillary and you cannot care about this person you're married to and whatnot, then you know you should save them mm-hmm. if you can. And so then Margot goes to manipulation to get the result that she wants and the result that she believes is best overall. And you know I get that impulse I, I have a mind that can be manipulative or can see manipulative ways of getting things. But I try to not act on those things. And so I can like see how, for her, she can see this path. She knows that she can accomplish it through manipulation.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. And she judges herself for it when she actually does it. But in the end she would rather that than lose Elliot mm-hmm. or even have the potential of losing Elliot. And so, yeah, I think it, it's hard when you can see the path <laughs> and then to choose not to take it at great personal sacrifice, which would be her most loved person. No. Um, and, and, you know, now she is the queen of this non-kingdom and, you know, everything else bad that could potentially happen. But, um, yeah, I think it's, she'll take the self-hatred in that circumstance. And if she has to sacrifice Fenn's happiness to keep Elliot alive, she'll do that. And it's not a good choice. It's not a loving choice, but I understand why she's making the choice and why it would be so tempting to make that choice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I just, I love her character so much because she is the character who would make that choice Mm -hmm. and who does some things to, to try to think about it and to talk to Fen about it. And, you know, Jess says like, would you be willing to do anything for Elliot? Mm -hmm. You know, but she doesn't go all the way, as you mentioned, because yeah, maybe she doesn't have that faith in Fen.
0: Well, she doesn't specify. It's fair. Yeah. When somebody agrees to do anything, it is fair. It's still a bit diabolical, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, don't agree to anything if you don't mean anything. Yeah.
1: Which is why then when the ambassador says something mm-hmm. like, you know, that was very wise or that or was very... Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she says that she's a manipulative C-word, like, mm-hmm. she recognizes that this is not the best thing to do, but she also recognizes it had to happen and and that's one of the things that i I really like about Margot's character is that Margot's character doesn't always think that what she does is right, mm-hmm. but she understands that it needs to be done, and if something that isn't right needs to get done, she'll do it. She's yeah. the person to do it, and that's a very, very interesting and compelling character,
0: yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe in some ways the in a in a nationalist sense, which usually I'm not for <laughs> <laughs> but like maybe what Fillory needs, even if it's not good. Yeah. But if the goal is to keep magic, if the goal is to keep Fillory, a kingdom running, blah blah blah, then like they need Margot yeah. to do that. The other person that I was also thinking about is Katie. Mm. Because she is trying to help Julia. She's been trying this entire season that we've had Katie here. She's been trying to help Julia and rid Earth of Raynard. And I was just thinking about, like, both the compassion and the guilt that she must be feeling over all you know many episodes that like the continual string of horrible things that keeps happening to julia over and over again and that that could have been katie mm-hmm. it, it wasn't and partially it wasn't because of the sacrifice julia made for her mm-hmm. you know she stood between Reynard and katie and she told her to run and she did and so katie has this Guilt. And she also has the compassion that, like, the pregnancy, and then she can't even get the abortion she's trying to get. And then when she finally does, after all of this other stuff, and people, you know, things trying to kill her and all of that, like, it takes her shade. And now she's not the same as she was before that. And, you know, it's just like, it must be so hard to watch and have so little control in the situation and trying. To just fight in every circumstance you can yeah. to to help and to do the right thing and to push them forward towards banishing Reynard or killing Reynard, there's just continual roadblocks and so, in the midst of that, when Julia has her shade gone, and she's not acting exactly like she used to, <laughs> and there are more questionable things going on. She chooses to see the good parts of Julia. The parts of Julia that are still there. The parts of Julia that thanked her mm. for everything she's done for her. The parts of Julia that is still trying to get rid of Reynard. Yeah, I, I think she's trying to cling on to the those old parts. And she just doesn't have the time or the emotional capacity. Yeah, she's going, you know, she, she's still dealing with addiction and all this, to like... Really deal with the part of Julia that's not the same as she was, and the closeness that they formed not being the same because Julia's not the same. And then it changes when she witnesses Julia try to, as she says, feed Quentin to Reynard. Yeah. And that's something that she knows Julia wouldn't have ever done if she had her shade. It's a really hard moment for her.
2: Yeah.
0: Because this person that she feels she owes her life to, now she has to be in favor of imprisoning. mm
2: mm-hmm.
0: and, and she knows that it's not... Like, it's not Julia's fault that she's different.
2: Yeah.
0: And that she just, yeah, sees things differently. And it must be really painful to see... Yeah. Someone that you're close to. I had a situation where I was incredibly close friends with somebody. They were also chronically ill, and so we wouldn't always get to spend very much time together and different things. And then at one point, um, I realized that there were things that this person had been lying about um, for years and manipulating. And it was a really difficult circumstance it was a really painful circumstance has definitely made, made me trust people less mm. <laughs> because this person that you knew or you thought you knew uh, and then you're seeing a very different person and it's not everything about them that you knew and liked and resonated with is gone it's not but there are also some really big ethical parts that are irreconcilable. Mm. Yeah. It's really difficult to deal with. And so I, I really feel for Katie having to deal with this at the same time she's also dealing with addiction. And so, yeah.
1: Yeah. Katie, for a character who can often be sidelined here, I think, has a much more emotional and fascinating and well-performed engagement with julia losing her shade than quentin does you know when quentin's worried about alice you know and that's really all that's on his mind literally Mm -hmm. Um, yeah so so katie really i think drives home the betrayal we don't even see quentin confront julia Mm -hmm. after she pushed him to reynard yeah we see katie do it and Yeah. yeah i just find that that scene really, really powerful, and and as you mentioned before, Julia's performance is great, but I think Katie's performance is great too.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, Katie! Oh, Katie! Katie and Penny, they always have to deal with all these people and decisions. I, I mean, I guess it, I I feel like Katie, Penny, and Elliot are all like, let's clean up the messes that <laughs> all of these other characters keep making. They're the camp
1: counselors. Yeah. <laughs> keep an eye on everyone and <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> are still drinking at night when all the, the kids go to sleep, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. Oh, I bet there's a fun fan fiction of a camp counselor AU oh or something God. of these characters. <laughs> I don't know if
0: there is, but there should be. Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, man. <laughs> well, why don't we return to the title of the episode to close out? What do you think of Lesser Evils?
1: Yeah, I like it. I can't remember a time in the episode they actually use it or talk about yeah, choosing so. the lesser evil, mm-hmm. which I think would make it stronger if in one of the conversations that we've been talking about, someone says something like that. So that it actually has like at least one moment that highlights it even more than like everything else that thematically connects to it.
0: That's funny. I feel opposite. I'm like, the show is leaving it to the audience to do the work.
1: Yeah, well, I'm lazy. I'm them. like a king. I know. Is <laughs> was
0: just going to say. Uh,
1: so You're
0: not preoccupied. Yeah,
1: but I mean... No, I'm kidding. I'm not just saying, like, that someone should have just been like, well, I have to choose the lesser evil. But, like, if they could actually have written a conversation that utilizes that in a clever or interesting way, I think that would make it stronger. But I still think that it, it does a good job of highlighting the amount of choices that people are making in this episode and a lot of those are hard choices
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i mean i wouldn't hear the title on prior to doing this episode of our podcast yeah and like know what it was about but now that i've thought about all of the issues with choosing lesser evils uh, I, I do like it
1: well that's going to wrap up this week's discussion so next time on the magicians quentin finally steps up as king right
0: No, he he does not. (laughs) Okay. But we will be watching episode 10, The Girl Who Told Time. Ooh.
1: Well, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. Find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And we hope that you'll join us on Patreon so you can help support the show. We want to thank Kimberly Kuniko at LaceLit for designing our logo. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek Geek out. out!